When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we were these like alternative people and kind of bewildered by society, which we thought was strange. And I'm sure they thought society thought we were strange weirdos or whatever. And then all of a sudden we're like this number one band in the world. And so that was like a real shock. Hello, I'm Mike Hippel and welcome to another episode of Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book where I look at influential 90s musicians and where they are today. On this podcast, we dig deeper into a pivotal moment in the life of one of the artists I feature in the book. Today, we're talking with the musician, activist, farmer, bassist, and accordion player, Chris Novoselic, talking about his salad days before his band hit it big. You may have heard of that band, Nirvana. It was the late 1980s and I was an industrial painter and to just describe that it wasn't like an artistic painter in like the field of industrial postmodern, you know, that kind of thing. I w- it was my job is I would go to factories and I would paint aluminum mills, aircraft factories, paper mills. And that's what I did. And I also was in a band and um, had my own place to live and, I had a lot of fun. It was a fun time. Like everything was new and exciting, but I also like, I had this mainstream job, but I really wasn't a mainstream person. I didn't feel like it. Like I would go to work and I enjoyed the company of my fellow workers, but I really didn't connect with them. Like I really wasn't in the television or sports or mainstream politics. Um, I just, I was, I enjoyed my job. I, I, I like painting and I still like painting. I still like paint my own house or I'll paint my kitchen or whatever. Just kind of, I'm always like working. <laughs> so I'm pretty busy around here on the ranch doing that. And, um, but I also played the band too. And like on the weekends, I guess I lived for the weekends to go and some weeknights too. I was in a band with Kurt Cobain and, um, we had we had various drummers we played with at the time, and so on. Like you know, Thursday night we'd go play the Vogue or 
we'd play these clubs in Seattle or Tacoma or Olympia. And I had a, had a fun time doing it. And then I came to a point where I had some changes in my life with like a relationship and I quit, quit the job and I was pretty much broke and um, I had saved up some money and I had bought a van for the sole purpose of having a tour van for the band. So it was like all about the band. And um, I found a room to rent in Olympia. And there was like this hippie house, these Evergreen State College people. And I actually had two vans at the time. I had a old split window Volkswagen van and I had this Dodge van that was like the band van because it was more had more power to haul gear and people and and then i then i actually ironically i couldn't i couldn't be broke for too long so i um i got a job at a sizzler and i had just enough money to rent rent that up that room which was like a hundred hundred and fifty bucks and then i was so down and out that i actually went to the food bank for a couple weeks to eat they had like a meal there and that's what and i like i better get a job because i can't do this and so i got a job at a sizzler and um just started playing music again not again i was i was always playing music but it was really kind of what that was the priority is like i'm just gonna play this music and have as much fun as possible and these are jobs that I could always quit. Like, see, when you worked as a, when I worked as an industrial painter, I was an apprentice in like the union and I was, should have had a career as like a master painter. And it's like a good job and benefits and this and that. And I let that go for just kind of a bohemian lifestyle. But, and you know, Kurt Cobain had a job too. He, he worked uh, for like a janitorial company and then he would go and clean like dentist office. And then he'd like break into the nitrous oxide. <laughs> he'd work nights and um, he cleaned toilets and he got a, uh, he, he raised uh, money to pay for our first demo that way. It with uh, Jack and Dino. That's when I just met Jack and Dino or we met Jack and Dino and we were, we recorded our first demo in seattle and just kind of living cheap drinking cheap wine and really having a lot of fun i really miss miss that time yeah they came in with me and they did a they did five hours of recording with dale on drums and they didn't have a band name and uh, most of that stuff has been released. I think about half of it is on Incesticide. A couple tracks ended up on Bleach, and the rest of it is on the box set. That's producer Jack Andino, who aside from producing those early Nirvana tapes, also worked on Soundgarden's Screaming Life, Mudhoney's Superfuzz Big Muff EP, and L7's Smell the Magic. You know, they just came in and blasted out these 10 songs, and... Kurt did all the vocals in one take after we had done all the, uh, the instrumental tracking. And, um, you know, we literally spent three hours recording and two hours kind of mixing and they ran out the door because they had to go play a show in Tacoma that night, which is a good hour away. 
from Seattle or, you know, in traffic. Um, so it was kind of a, a lightning fast, um, you know, set up, roll, get out the door with a tape. Um, but I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. I thought, well, you know, not every band gets, you know, comes in here and records this quickly, you know, but they were a good band and I liked them and I was excited to be recording them. And, uh, you know, who knew? Um, you know, the Seattle music scene was really coming up and there were these bands that were getting notoriety, especially in the British press. And um, like a big band was Soundgarden. They had signed to a major label and they were a great band. We were like really proud of them and we aspired to uh, be like Soundgarden. And so like we were in this our own little world where we were, it really, it's ironic. I don't know if it's ironic, but like they, they call this genre of music, alternative music. So when like the new version of rock and roll emerged and then it displaced, like nevermind went to number one and it displaced Michael Jackson. Right. And so instead of saying that that's rock music now, they called it alternative music to just, I guess, preserve the status quo or try to. So like, oh, this is the real music and there's the alternative music. So I was, was offended by that whole idea. And then we were like alternative people. We were just weren't really into mainstream culture, identified with punk rock music and the do-it-yourself ethic of it all. And... um so we were just like working and playing, rehearsing a lot, building up our chops, just getting better as musicians. Kurt was a really talented songwriter and he would just kept writing songs. He was very motivated. You could never get him to like wash his dishes or clean his apartment, but he wasn't lazy. And um, he was working, focusing on just the creative aspect. And he took a break from music. He would like, he would do sculpting. Like he would get clay and make these cool sculptures or paint or write stories and those things. And um, so we just focused on the music. And then one thing led to another and a lot of people know all these stories anyway. And we were like the biggest band in the world. And, but what happened was, is that the mainstream came to us. Like nobody expected Nirvana to be a big band. And the proof of that is the evidence is that when the Geffen records, our major label debut, they printed up quote unquote, only 50,000 copies of Nevermind which is like alternative indie gold, right? And so like there was a time where Smells Like Teen Spirit was blowing up. It was all over the radio. It was on MTV on heavy rotation. And then you couldn't buy the compact disc. 
people would go to like Tower Records or these stores and just like, we don't have it. <laughs> so that added to the mystique of it. Like it was, you couldn't obtain it. And uh, so we were these like alternative people and kind of bewildered by society, which we thought was strange. And I'm sure they thought society thought we were strange weirdos or whatever. And then all of a sudden we're like this number one band in the world. And so that was like a real shock. And so you have to like work through that and, and adjust to that. And it took me a while to adjust to it. And one of the things that I, what would happen is I'd have dreams. The Royal road to the subconscious is the dream is your dreams. And so I would have dreams where like I was naked in public and like, Oh my God, like, why didn't I put my clothes on? And I'm like in a group of people. And I'm just like, ah, you know, I've just felt exposed. <laughs> then there was all this pressure on Kurt because he was out front. He was singing. So he really had that pressure. And he, and he, he could never seem to let go of that pressure. And there we were. And that's what, what happened is like on a personal level, how you deal with that. And then here it is, like we're almost in 2022 and I've been through some things where I'm actually reconnecting with that person from the late eighties and like circa 1990 Chris, it's just like, and I can do that because of the luxury that Nirvana affords me. And so that's where the luxury that Nirvana affords me, like some people have, uh, mansions in Beverly Hills, private jets, yachts, or whatever, expensive cars. But my luxury is, is that because I don't have to work at a sizzler or as an industrial painter, that I could make this life for myself. So society's kind of nuts, and you see it with on social media, especially. Maybe these are these latent behaviors that are part of our evolutionary psychology that we've brought with us <laughs> over thousands of years and they manifest themselves a certain way in social media and how people, you know, outgroup affect these things, cancel culture. And then I just like, Oh, I don't, I don't need to do this. I remember feeling this way, like watching television same way watching television in 1990 just i can't connect with it i don't i'm not interested in these sitcoms and the news just seems like filtered and manipulated so it's amazing how now i'm 56 and at the time i was like 26 and i went through all these stages of just kind of trying to be fit in or deal with society and it just didn't work <laughs> so here I am Thanks, Chris, for giving us a glimpse into the early days of Nirvana. 
At this point, we usually move on to talking about inspirations, and we start there, but we move a little bit into what he's up to today with his activism. What I'm inspired with is I'm making a lot of music. I've been playing accordion and fingerstyle acoustic guitar. I'm really influenced by John Fahey, this uh, American primitive guitarist, and I try to play like he does. And um, so I'm doing a lot. I'm doing a lot of music and should have some couple projects coming together here in 2022. Um, I, in 2016, I earned a bachelor's of science degree in social sciences. And I did, mo I did most of it online for Washington State University. And that was a big commitment. Uh, I did it part time, like three quarter time, I would go to school or half time, because I still like made music in the meantime i won a grammy and went on tour and things like that <laughs> that was like studying in college right and actually i was uh recording with paul mccartney that cut me some slack and uh paul was doing his vocals and i was actually in this corner like listening but i was also finishing up this paper and then when he finished his last note of his vocals i pressed submit <laughs> and the paper went I submitted the paper. I got an A. <laughs> and um, and then now I started uh, online college again for uh, master's of legal studies. It's like a mini master's. If you go full time, it takes a year to get this master's of legal studies. So, But I do it part time again because I have other commitments and things. So I'm studying environmental law. And um, that's what I do. Like my politics it's always been policy oriented and wonky, but I really participated in politics with like, I was a chair of the democratic party in Wakaikum County for four years, but I quit in 2019 and I'm, yeah, I'm independent now. And these political narratives are just seem like they're manipulation on the right and the left. And I just, instead I, I make these deep policy dives. And so I'm really into campaign financing, um, electoral systems. And uh, now I'm taking the deep dive into environmental policy with water and oceans because I live on the mouth of the Columbia River. So right now I'm studying ocean law. So if you have, if you, I recommend to people, like if you are interested in politics, it's just like, don't listen to these politicians because they're ma manipulators is just get into a get into the policy or or find people that are like academics and make up your own mind about uh, these issues and that's all for today's episode We'll have new episodes out every Tuesday. Be sure to look for my book, Live Through That, available everywhere now. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 